Hi, my name is Mark and welcome to The Active Listener, where we aim to listen, not just hear. We firmly believe that everyone has an interesting story to tell, if given the space to do so. So listen in to what our guests have to say. You may learn something. So as part of my coaching series, Understanding Different Types of Coaching, I'm pleased to say that we have another guest, name of Julia. So welcome, Julia. Thank you, Mark. Good to see you. Tell us a bit about yourself. Most of my working life, um, I've been working in music and theatre. And I've been, for the last 24 years, (laughs) I've been coaching singers and performers. In recent years, I found myself thinking I so enjoy the aspects of the coaching that I do that is the whole person as well as just the voice or the performance skills. Uh, that I sort of found myself a bit tempted to try and move out into a wider form of coaching. And along came the pandemic and the perfect time to do a little bit of training. So I went off and I've developed a new strand to my business, if you like, which is coaching people in professional presentation. And so I'm very excited about that. When I'm not working, I'm a keen hiker and yoga practitioner if that's the correct word and I love me garden that's a bit about me so it sounds like you've taken one of your core strengths and broadened it we've spoken to quite a number of different sorts of coaches some of the the subject matter that I've discussed with people that I'm coaching we may talk about presentation certainly when it comes to public speaking and confidence building Mm. but not from the point of view specifically that's what we're focusing in on could you tell us a little bit about what presentation coaching is it's training people in every aspect of how to present themselves at their clear best uh, when they're speaking in public now of course there's lots of different contexts in which we have to speak in public these days a lot of people need to do it to do with their work so it might be giving a pitching to a client depending on what your business is. It might be sharing ideas with work colleagues or sharing some research you've done. Um, It could be interview skills or it could be giving a paper at a conference or a keynote speech at a conference. It's quite a wide range of things and it covers anything from the pace we speak the inflection we might use to keep the listener's attention. It could involve avoiding things that undermine what we're saying, like up-speak, you know, up-speak, which make us sound a little bit uncertain about what we're talking about. And it can also be how you approach going into the room even. So there's quite, you know, it's quite a range of things, making your entrance, how to communicate with the whole room if you're if you are speaking to a whole room, how to handle questions. There are those very practical skills which I guess link into what I've been doing so far, you know, with I've been coaching singers. So as part of what I do with a lot of the clients who come along, I'll talk, do breath work, breath management, how to use that to calm our nerves. Also how to use it to adjust the pitch of our voice where that's relevant. And then there's the other aspect of the coaching, which is a little bit more about things like self-belief, limiting beliefs that might affect how we feel about presenting. So it's quite wide ranging. 
That's really interesting. And yeah. I could see there's a link there between the performance almost, what you were talking about there. And I can also see you're very enthusiastic about yeah. it. So unpack the progression from where you were in terms of the work that you've done okay. to coaching. As a singing teacher, I'm quite a, a technician. I'm interested in what it is we do with the voice, how we get the voice to work, how the voice works. And I'm a little bit of a voice geek, to be honest with you, Mark. It really fascinates me. When I'm training singers, obviously I will listen to what the person says they want to be able to do with their singing. And then I'll help them put in place the technique they need to have to be able to do the kind of singing that they want. There are some basic ground stuff that will be common to all kinds of singing. And it's the same with when you're doing public speaking. So there are some things that are common ground. For example, how to manage your breath when you're speaking, how to use your muscles, your support muscles, so that you can project your voice. Then there are more subtleties. So people will come with a particular issue. So I might have a client who will come and say, well, my particular issue when I'm presenting is that my voice goes higher and higher when I get nervous and I, I end up sounding like a like a 10 year old. You can coach people in how to deal with that. And that really ties in very closely, getting back to your question, Mark, as to, to the progression from what I've been doing with singing coaching, how you bring a person's voice down. There are techniques to do with what you do with your breath in order to get the larynx to change height and that will affect the pitch of the voice and so these are all techniques you can train people in. So it sounds like it's a, a combination of technique as well yes. as observation and getting yes. the coachee, the person that's coming to see you, yeah. their understanding of where they're at at the moment. That's right. So when they first come to me, so we'll have a conversation first of all, and I'm sure you do something similar in your coaching. And when people first come to me, they will tend to outline what they perceive their issues to be. And so I got that as my starting point. And then when they when they come to meet me, I'll get them to deliver a little, a very, very short presentation. Now, probably only one or two minutes long. So it might be their elevator pitch or it, or I sometimes get people to prepare a little presentation about something they're interested in. I will then watch and listen as they give their presentation. And when they've finished, the first thing we do is I'll ask them how they perceived it went and what they noticed. And then I'll chip in with what I noticed. And we talk about those particular things. So it might be things like pacing. It might be how easy it is for the listener to take the main points from what they're saying. Because often when we're delivering, we tend to get into this trap of thinking that it's all about fluency. And people often translate in their mind fluency as pace and speed, as in they've got to go and they've got to keep going. And what we forget is that if you are on the receiving end of someone presenting, 
you quite often, you don't know much about what it is that person is presenting to you about. And so your brain is doing a catch-up. And this is nothing to do with how expert you are in the subject matter. It's about new material. So let's take the example, for example, of someone who is a scientist and they've got a new concept that they're sharing with, with their peers, their professional peers. Because what they are sharing is new the listener is trying to pay really firm attention to what is coming over new. But if the pace, for example, is too fast and too fluent, the brain hasn't got time to take on board the new thing. So when we present, there's so many things at play. There's pitch. What effect is the pitch of the voice giving? Is my pitch making people feel anxious? Is my pitch making people feel feel stressed so that they can't pay attention to what I'm saying? There's things about the pace. If we rattle too much, we don't give brain space for people to take on board what we're saying. And then there's this whole art of the pause. You know, it's funny. When we talk to young children, we bring so many of these brilliant presentation skills into play because we use our pace we slow it down, we use pause for special effect, and we make the whole thing exciting with the inflection that we use. And somehow, then when we get into our professional world, we think, oh, I can't use those. And we think professional equals fast and fluent. And you particularly find this with people where English is not their first language, because if you put yourself in that position, you're thinking, I want to come over as fluent. And again, so often people think fluent equals fast, but actually good delivery needs to have so many different elements. It sounds like to me that it would differ from the coaching that I do. Yes. Interestingly, there's an overlap. What I would call pure coaching, which is what you're doing, which is where it, which is question based. So the client does all the work and the thinking and the learning from inside themselves. And there is an element of that. And so, for example, if I'm working with someone who has had an idea given to them when they were younger that they don't have a right to speak, for example, those are issues that will then we'll work through in a more what I call a more pure coaching style. But you're absolutely right to point up the difference. This is coaching that's got both aspects. It's got that pure coaching, but it's also, if you like, a training element. I'm kind of in two roles because on the one hand, I'm the role that's inviting the client to reflect and look for certain responses in themselves. But then I'm also skills training. So it's the two. That's excellent. And it's very specific. Are there sort of general top tips that you can give to people who are listening in terms of presenting? Yeah. Did you know that in the United States at the moment, I heard this fact a few weeks ago, one of the top, if not the top phobia people have in the United States of America at the moment, top phobias, not spiders, not snakes, public speaking. Okay which I thought was fascinating, actually. It's not the case that everybody is nervous about what they do when they're presenting, because there are some people who actually really enjoy it, and we know that. It's just that we all, me included, have elements in the way that we present that we perhaps don't notice ourselves, 
that someone with an outside eye can be the audience and can pick up on. I think the thing I want to put across is that everything is coachable. There's, I don't think there's such a thing as an aspect of this presentation, giving a presentation, that we can't get help with. Do you seek other people's opinion of the way that you present? So for existence, so for instance, <laughs> as a coach, we would have a supervisor and we would talk about how things are going reflecting upon coaching and coaches obviously confidentially and they will help provide another insight help us to see things perhaps in a different way Mm. do you do the same with your coaching and are you analyzing and reflecting upon yourself as well in the way that you carry yourself and the way that you present that's informally I would say very definitely informally so that I have some fellow professionals whose view I will ask for sometimes. And I'll say, can you give me some feedback on how you felt that went? Because I felt this. I don't have, as it were, a professional presentation coach mentor as such. I have other professionals who are within the performance world whose opinion I will listen to and reflect back and discuss with. Particularly, I tend to do it if I felt that I didn't get something quite right. And I'll go, I felt this. What did you think? And we'll talk it through. Yeah, so it's like a community of practice. You've got input from other people. That's a good way of putting it. We spoke really sort of in a business context. Yes. And and public speaking. Do you coach people outside of a work context? As well as doing professional presentation coaching, I also do what we've kind of identified as more pure coaching, the kind of coaching that you're doing. And I coach what I call people with creative brains. In society, we tend to think of creatives as being people who either write or compose or paint. And we have a very narrow definition of creativity. And actually, People with creative brains can be found in in every walk of life. So you have scientists with creative brains and people in the tech world with very creative brains. And um, so I offer coaching more for people who think creatively. Maybe they are divergent thinkers rather than convergent thinkers. They They think as I think of it in my creative brain, I think of it as being a creative person who thinks in star patterns rather than straight lines. Some of the coaching is a little bit more long-term with people working out how to channel their creativity, where to go next. People with creative brains have so many options in a way because they're so good at so many different aspects of it. And yet there'll be other things that um, we as with creative brains find almost seemingly insuperable challenges that the next person will find so simple. An example I'm going to give you is put me in front of an audience of 600 people and ask me to talk and I will be happy as day. Ask me to ring a utility company and argue a case and I will get ridiculously wound up in advance of it and I will put it off and put it off and put it off and so it's sort of unpicking strange ways that creative brains think
I also coached somebody recently for a job interview who felt that they tended not to perform well in interviews. And this is someone who's highly, highly creative in their work. And it was a case of of coaching them and how to draw those strands out and present those creative strands rather than being afraid of the words one has to use in an interview. And that was very successful and he landed his great job. So I was very pleased about that. So I do that sort of coaching too. Yeah, I clearly see that you find it rewarding and having such an impact and something tangible. You could say that that individual got the job. So that's, that's, that's really good. Yes. I'm a people person and I absolutely love the process of working with one-to-one with people. It's just, it's a privilege, a privilege and a joy and an excitement because you're always picking up from what the person is saying. I imagine it's like being a sculptor. You know, you're helping, you're working with this with this person. Only the person is becoming the, the sculpture and rather than what you're doing some bad analogy it's that creative brain kicking in that's what it is and going off at a rather odd tangent someone may know that they're uncomfortable with public speaking for instance or presenting Mm. but they can't necessarily drill down to Mm. why or how to deal with that and then there's the other side of things that people may not even think about how they present themselves, but actually there's an issue, but it's a blind spot for them. The the hardest, of course, is the person who doesn't perceive that there is an issue. Those will be the people who will come to me because they've sometimes had some feedback from a line manager or something. Top tips, okay. Let's say for the people who know that there is an issue, let's deal with them first, but not quite certain what to do about it. So what I would say is, what is it that goes well for you? First of all, think about a context in which you were speaking in public, where there was some aspect of it where you felt it went well. Can you put your finger on what it is that goes well? And then in looking at what goes well, then you can reflect a little bit on what doesn't go quite so well. But do hold on to the what you do and what goes well. And then ask yourself, what would you like to change or develop around it? So it's not a case of going, I'm good at that, I'm no good at that. It's a case of going, I can do that bit. I find that bit okay. I'm good at that bit. And then going, and the bits I'd like to develop are these. Um, so that's that's what I'd say to people who are know that there might be an issue. People who don't know that there might be an issue, what I would say is if you are hearing, if you are getting feedback from other people that there might be something to address in your presentation skills, the bit of hope I would give you is everything is coachable. Everything can be learned. Somebody like me, I'm very happy to have people come to me to say, I don't know what's wrong, but people are saying this to me. That's great. It's a great starting point because we can discover together. So you're working very much with the individual. Absolutely. And it's not a one size fits all at all. Anyone who comes to me, I'm going to be looking at them, not an idea of how anyone else might be speaking. It's looking at this person. What are their issues? And they will be particular. One or two of their issues might be the same as as other people's issues. But whatever we do work wise, it'll be bespoke to them. 
It'll be their issues and we'll be working on it in a way that works for them. Some of the, you know, if it's a bit technical thing about training in breath management, there are particular exercises and techniques that, that, you know, work time and time again. And of course, we'd use those, but it will be specific to a person who comes through the door. So one of the things I'd imagine then, as with any type of coaching, is that trust is going to be essential to help this work. Because potentially, I would imagine anyway, that when you're in conversation with someone, Mm. you may be touching on sensitive things because you're talking about how someone is presenting themselves, which can be quite personal. That's right. And of course, confidentiality is a very important aspect of coaching. Anyone who comes through the door has to know and can know that anything they confide of a personal nature will stay between me and them. And the other kind of trust, I think, that is important in what I do, because there's a skills training base in there, to such an extent, is that they can trust that I'm going to give them correct technique, that that I know what I'm talking about, if you like. Um, and so I think I think from that point of view, the 24 years of experience of training singers is actually a helpful thing for people to know that. And, and I'm I'm quite scrupulous about going to get training myself. In you know when there is a new de- a new development, a bit of new research that's done about how muscles are used to support the voice, for example. About seven years ago, I went to do a huge course at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama because there'd been new thinking about breathing and the connection between breathing and speech. And I thought, I need to know this. Anyway, whenever you do this, a new level of training, it opens up so much more. And it's so exciting, isn't it? So it's all game, game. Who are your clientele? That's a really good question question. And I'm trying to think if there are threads of connection. I would say that for some of them, I think with all these things, a big believer in, um, I heard somebody talk some years ago about that, you know, in whatever business you're in, you want to be finding your tribe. We all have our tribe. And our tribe, it can sometimes be an intangible thing. Our tribe are the people who are going to connect with us and who are going to get us and we're going to get them. And I think when we have our initial phone call and people contact me and I hear about what their needs are, I always invite people to come for one session, a kind of consultation session in the first instance. And I think this is really important. It's such a personal thing. If you're talking about how you deliver with your voice, you are the instrument. That is so personal. So it has to feel right the person who's going to coach you. You have to feel right about it. And and I think it's too big an ask to ask people to commit to a whole series of training without having worked out whether they feel comfortable with me, whether they feel they get me and whether they feel I get them and that there is a rapport and a trust that we can work build from. And so I do this one consultation session first 
And then people are completely free after that, if they want to, to walk away and find someone else. Because it is very, very personal, this. But if they if they meet me and I meet them and we have a, a productive session and they feel, yes, OK, I know I can work with Julia, then we commit from there to a series of sessions. So my clientele, I think there's a crossover. There are people who work creatively and perhaps think a little differently. I have a lot of clients like that, some of whom would positively identify as neurodivergent, I guess, but not all by any means. And um, I also work with quite a lot of women, but I don't only work with any of those groups. So I don't only work with women, I work with men as well. Um, and I work with creative brains. And I've also worked with some people who would probably not identify themselves as creative brains. It's I think I think I'm finding your question really hard because I think it's it's subtle. It's about I think what I'm trying to say is there's a click that happens when we meet people who we we get them and they get us. And so I guess what I'm saying is that most of the people who come to me, having had a phone call with me, most of the people who come to me who do the consultation do turn into ongoing clients. So I guess there's a kind of filtering process going on on their part and mine that they are trying to work out in the phone call whether what they're hearing sounds like the right person for them. I can't say all my clients are boom, boom, boom. So I think it. I think it's more invisible than visible. What I would say is certainly from my own experience as well is that initial conversation is so important. I agree because it, it is about building that trust and rapport. Yeah. And I, now, some coaches will have their niche and they'd be specifically aiming for a group of of individuals. But it sounds like to me, whilst there is that broad context of what's obviously about presentations, it's going to be that commonality. You're not drilling down to, let's say, corporates or necessarily just neurodiverse or necessarily just females. It's a group. Exactly. Exactly. And I think one thing I would really like to say is that as a person, when I was teaching, when I've been coaching through my whole life, the thread for me is that I really feel and believe passionately that we all need to be affirmed in what we do well. And I think, unfortunately, there are certain aspects of either the education system or or even the work world where um, and, and I'm, the example I'm going to pull out of the air here is, for example, the target system, which kind of sets itself up to imply that what we're doing already is not good enough inbuilt into that. And I, as a, as, as a coach, I so passionately believe in affirming people for what is right and what is going well and what they are doing and getting right. And I... I think that one of the things that differentiates whether people want to come and work with me or not is how they feel about the combination of affirmation, but drilling in on, on, you know, very clear. And this is how we're going. We need to work on this. And and so I think I if I was a a betting person, which I'm not, (laughs) I would bet that um, the people who 
come to work with me are people who feel comfy about that. So it sounds like the fundamental thing for you here, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is the fact that you care about the individual. You want the best for the people and your focus is on the technique and the support Mm. regarding presentation, but the fundamental belief is in encouragement of individuals and progress. Yes. In order to be able to present well, we need to be con- have a confidence inside in what we're doing, in the message we're trying to put over um, and, and in our ability to put it over clearly. I believe in what I'm doing. I'm, I, I guess if you ask what is my purpose in life, I strongly believe in affirming what people are doing right and building people's confidence in themselves, but not based on a hot air but based on what they do right and enabling them to develop so themselves so that there is more and more that they're doing right and doing brilliantly. So if you like, what I really believe in is helping people to learn to fly with their own wings, you know, and, and I really believe that it, we can do this. You know what I mean? And I don't believe, I'm not saying I believe in me doing it. I believe that people are so much better and have so much more to them than they believe they have. This, I think sometimes, sometimes for all sorts of reasons in life, things knock us and knock us back and, and give us ideas about ourselves that we don't even realise are operating these these ideas and thoughts that are pulling us down and making us live not to our potential. And I just so believe that what I want to do, in I want to use skills I have to help people to recognise, be kind to themselves, recognise the good in themselves and build and develop. Excellent. Oh, I couldn't agree more. That's that's really, really good. It reminds me of something I heard years ago, and I, I regularly say in coaching sessions is that often people have a lie in the truth drawer. And what I mean by that is Ooh. that if you have these set of drawers, truth, lie, sometimes that lie can be put in the truth drawer, and it's been there so long, it now feels like truth. And it's about looking at what is your belief system what are your values and what is reality um so that kind of chimed with me with what you were sharing that's really I love that image I love that image that's really um that really speaks to me actually I can see that yeah I I think that's that's really powerful there's so much that influences us when I say I'm a people person I I think it's this role that empathy plays in what we do that is so crucial to our perception and understanding and insight and therefore our devising of of in what I do of sort of the appropriate path for this person to take them forward. So, yeah, empathy has a big place to play. It sounds very much that you sort of found your purpose or calling or however you want to put it would that be right yeah I think so I mean I think that it's sort of not one calling in a very straight line Mm. as it were it's more 
a field than a line, if you see mm-hmm. what I mean. It's, it's not so much path as a field, I guess that's what I'm saying. So I think that working and understanding where people are coming from and, and I guess about need, people's need, and how to identify what they need in this particular field. So whether it's through singing, whether it's through performance generally, whether it's through giving presentations or whether it's through coaching how they look at their life and which ways they go forward for the creative brains coaching, then I I think that's the common thread, that it's sort of um, seeing the need, hearing the need, and then empathising and finding the right path forward with that person. And obviously it's going to be different whether it's, Pure coaching, presentation coaching, singing, teaching, whatever. It's going to be slightly different in its flavour. What I'm terribly grateful for is that I've had the ability in life to work in fields that I love. So in in music, with voices, with how people present and with how our creative brains think. Is there anything you would say to listeners to ask themselves are there any questions you'd suggest to people the important thing when you're presenting is you are always you so you're not trying to give a a fantastic stage performance of someone else so we do have to stay true to our inner core of ourselves so me I'm a bit of a passionate person in the way I express things. So if somebody asked me to present in a very cold way, I would find that very hard to do because actually I'm a person that I feel strongly about things. And so that's going to come over in how I present. I'd say to people listening, be true to yourself. By all means, develop the presentation skills you need but it's always staying true to the heart of you, the person that you are, because that's who people want to learn from. That's who they want to hear from. That's a really good answer. I think that fits in with what's coming across overall with being a coach, to be honest, and whether there's that connection, it's about being authentic because Mm. people will pick up on whether you're being authentic. And if you're being authentic, Mm. being your true self, it's going to be a lot easier. It's going to be a lot more natural. Yes, that's right. And it's going to come over as you and not a clone of every other person you heard giving a keynote speech or whatever. Thank you for sharing your insights um, there, Julia. That's much appreciated. And as with every other episode, we always have to do our favourite five. So before I ask you those, (laughs) could you share with me something that you're most proud of? My marriage broke down in 2004, a long time ago now. And um, my two girls and I, we became a family unit uh, on our own. I'm incredibly proud that we managed to navigate that and that my girls have grown up, thank God, to be two strong, inspirational young women. And I'm proud that I am a survivor. Thank you. Favourite five. Favourite five. Okay, okay. So let's start with um, the song. 
Or piece of music. So, um, right. So bear in mind, Mark, you asked this question of a musician. Okay. Now I decided that I, there are two different avenues I'm going to go down through this. So I'm going to ask, please, 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 can you let me have two songs? Because they're from very different sides of me. So one is, I love dancing. And my, my daughters and I, we put us on our dance floor and we're all a bit, we, we, we just go for it. And we particularly love kind of funk, soul, R&B, bit of hip hop. Anyway, one of my daughters and I share an absolute love of a song called Boogie Oogie Oogie by Taste of Honey, which has got the most wonderful rhythmic introduction and a, a fab bass. It's, it's a kind of, it's a guitar intro. And then there's, oh, it's just, anyway, it's great. There's something about it that just draws you onto the dance floor and then off you go. And then the other one I wanted to say was from my favourite opera, Tosca. It's, I told you this was the opposite end of the spectrum. There's this aria called Elucevan le stelle, which means and the stars were shining, and it's and, and it's right towards the end of the opera, and it's sung by the tenor when we know that he is going to be led out to be put before a firing squad. The evil character in the opera has persuaded his lover, the, the tenor's lover, that this is only going to be a ruse and it won't be, a, there'll be blank bullets in the in the guns. But we know they're not going to be. And the, the tenor sings this aria and from that moment onwards, the whole of the third act, I cry my eyes out. <laughs> One tiny bit of music starts. And if you played it to me on a train in London, I would cry. It's like Pavlov's dog. Okay, go on, next question. Hero or person you admire? My friend Catherine, who said that she wanted to take open her home to take a family of Ukrainian refugees and has got seven people living with her. Um, two families with mums and two children and the, the grandmother and amazed and impressed by her. She spent, ever since she's known they were coming, she spent ages getting, um, fighting uh, MPs to get visas through quicker, going to primary schools to find primary school places, nursery school places, asking the local community for donations of children's toys, getting... I, anyway, my friend Catherine... Amazing woman. Food. Good Italian food. Good Italian food. Not just any bog standard pizza and certainly not chains. Good Italian food. Absolutely cannot be beaten. Favourite place? Okay, either the Gower Peninsula in South Wales, which is where I grew up, or southern Italy, anywhere below Naples. Naples and below. Sicily, Basilicata... Campania. There's an Italian theme coming coming there through. There is an Italian theme coming through. Oh yes, and then, too. And then finally, book, film, or video game, or all three. This was actually very easy because I'm a big reader and I think the most astonishingly uplifting book I've read in the last few years was a book called A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Taules, which has to be an anagram, I think. Um, And it's a story of positivity and hope in the face of great and increasing adversity. And for anyone who wants an uplifting tale, and it's the most, if I told you what this book was about, you'd go, oh, that doesn't sound very cheerful, but it is incredible. Yeah, so that. Excellent. Well, thank you for such a nice range of things and for a really insightful 
conversation. Thank you for your time, Julia. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Until next time, remember, help people feel valued. Listen, don't just hear.